1: Step six of the classroom setup process is IEP goals and work tasks. So as a newer teacher, or if you've moved to a new classroom, you probably inherited a whole bunch of IEP goals. They might be great goals. They might be not so great goals. But either way, you have to figure out how you're going to be implementing those goals and what materials you need or already have to teach those concepts and strategies. So, so far in this classroom setup process, we've talked about the structure and the schedules and visuals and the lay of the land might be there, but now you are probably thinking, what are we doing in all of those centers? What is the stuff, the materials, the things we need? I've shared this story before, but as a first year teacher, I had a new classroom to the building I was in. I didn't take over someone's class. I didn't inherit that whole hoardery closet of just stuff that you might not need, but at least you have something. I didn't have any of that. I had an empty room, and I know I've shared this story before. I walked in that first day of school, that first PD day, you know, 22 years old, having no idea what to do, carrying a little bag that had two rolls of paper towels and a thing of Clorox wipes. Like, I laugh about that all the time. What did I think I was going to do with those two rolls of paper towels? I don't know, but I waited almost a lot of the fall for the things to come. Like I was like, when is like the stuff coming? Like books and materials and all that. And even though I knew that there was never gonna be this like royal entrance of this huge cart that came down the hallway with all of the materials that I needed to teach Johnny to read and Kimmy to read and to teach my students the skills that they had to work on, I still think I was subconsciously waiting for it to come. And as you and I both know, that cart full of lovely materials never came because as a special ed teacher, you really have two jobs. You are a teacher and you are a curriculum developer. And no, you don't get two salaries. That's just part of the job description. We have to make all of the stuff. And that is super overwhelming. That is overwhelming to a 15-year veteran teacher that knows their stuff. Because our kids might be at a lot of different grade levels. It's not like maybe a third grade teacher who needs third grade level content and then maybe some second grade level content or a little bit of fourth grade content. We might need grades one through grade seven worth of content because our kids might be at so many different skill levels. That's a lot of content creation. That's a lot of stuff. So, if you're feeling overwhelmed about that, it's okay. You're not going to get all of it done. You will never have the most perfect, all inclusive collection of materials and resources, and that's fine. Think of it as something that you're always developing. And if you are brand new or in a new classroom or new grade level, You will not accomplish this by day one, week one, month one, or even year one. So take it step by step and don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself to others that are way farther down the road than you are. Teachers that have been teaching five, 10, 15 years are just going to have a lot more materials because they've been in the field longer. So don't compare your year one to someone else's year 10. And a special note for our jobs. I quote Dr. Stephen Shore all the time. If you've met one individual with autism, you've met one individual with autism. So even if you are a 10-year teacher, 15-year teacher, you might get a whole new group of students that you've never had that type of student before, which means you don't have the appropriate materials for them. So you might feel right back to year one of, oh my gosh, I've got to make all of these things because I don't have enough materials for the group I have. And that's over. Okay, so before you get out that laminator and start just making a million tasks, slow down. You want to be thoughtful and purposeful about this process. Later in this episode, I'm joined by Gina, one of our team bloggers. She is a self-contained preschool teacher. She was also recently named Teacher of the Year in her county, which is a huge deal. And she does a great, great job at differentiating materials and creating resources that are based on standards and based on IEP goals. So we really want to scale back before we jump to that resource creation step. You want to look at those IEP goals, and before that, you want to look at your assessments. So what assessments are you going to be doing that will help you come up with IP goals that are appropriate? Then, once you have those IEP goals, looking at what resources you already have and starting to maybe make more resources that will align to the goals that you have. So Gina and I are going to talk a lot more about that later. In my mind, resources really fall into two main categories. And then there's like, you know, one million subcategories under that. But one category is IEP goal resources. So these are basically resources to teach new skills, kit skills and concepts that your don't your kids don't have mastered yet. The other category is independent work, things they can already do to some level of independence. In your classroom. So, this might not just be work tasks. These could be adapted books, file folders, games, things like that. So, thinking about skills that your kids need to learn what materials you need to teach new skills, and then thinking about the skills that your kids already know and how they can practice and extend on those skills and then build that important, important concept of working on your own, which is an essential, essential life skill. And it's an essential... Skill and station that you need in your classroom for your classroom to run because your kids need to be working independently while you are running other stations while you are training your staff while you are managing behaviors. So independent work is really key. I have a lot of blog posts on different options for independent work systems. So you need some type of a way for students to know which activities or tasks they have to do and then transition between activities or tasks. That's really part of the skill. Part of the skill of working independently is finding the the activity or task you need to do, setting it up, completing it, and then putting it away and finding the next step. Think about when you have a chore list or you have jobs you have to do at work. Part of the job is being able to transition between tasks. So really think about the system that your independent work will live in and how you're teaching that to your students. And Gina and I will get more into that in a few minutes. The last important thing about the materials step is organization, I talk about organization all the time and it's not because I want things to look pretty and Pinterest worthy and perfect, but it's because it's functional. Jen and I talked a lot about this in step two in classroom structure setup because you want to be able to find the materials you need when you need them. In the same way, organizing your massive set or collection of resources is key because you want to be able to find those activities when you have a student that has that IEP goal. So maybe you get a new student this year and Johnny's working on multiplication. Well, you haven't had a student that worked on multiplication in a few years. If your materials are well-organized, you'll be able to go to your multiplication binder, your bin that has higher-level math tasks, pull out tasks that you made three years ago, pull out worksheets that you haven't used in a while, and you're going to have things for Johnny to use right away instead of being like, oh, my stuff is such a mess. I'm sure I have multiplication stuff somewhere in that closet, but God knows where it is, so I'll just start over. There's nothing worse than creating something that you already created. So spend time organizing not only the resources that are out in your classroom, but the resources that you aren't currently using because you never know what new student will come and need those resources.
2: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Join
0: Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
1: So let's jump into my conversation with Gina. Like I said, she's currently in a preschool setting, so she's going to give a lot of great examples from the perspective of a self-contained preschool teacher, which is awesome because I get a lot of questions about, you know, those early learners and how we accommodate these strategies for our babies. And we're going to talk about how she utilizes assessments and standards to create IP goals that led then lead to the creation of these resources. So let's jump right in. Hi Gina, thank you so much for chatting with us about one of my favorite classroom setup steps, because this is like the meat and potatoes. It's like the stuff (laughs) that we need. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And, you know, we both know that when you have a self-contained room, you need like a lot of things because we're not just prepping maybe for one grade level. It's like many grade levels. So the stuff becomes complicated. Exactly. Even when you're with the little
3: ones, you're like, oh, we don't really have you know, anywhere to go, they're so little already, but you
1: really do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Even for preschool, you're right. So Mm -hmm. before we can even think about, you know, what work tasks do we make or what file folders you need, what, you know, adapted books, it has to start with the goals. And even before the goals, we need assessments because we got to figure out what to put in those goals. So let's kind of like start way back at the beginning because you can't just jump in with the laminator. What types of assessments do you do in preschool?
3: Oh, I And I think like that one point you just made is so important because as teachers, we're like, you know, we're scouring the Internet. We're like, oh, my gosh, that is the cutest resource ever. And then you make like 18,000 things and then you use one of them because they're not appropriate for the kids that you're about to have or you get moved, God forbid. And then you have like, you know, baby coloring folders for high schoolers. Yeah. So. Definitely waiting to see, you know, what kids you have and using those assessments to drive your resource making is the number one thing. (laughs) So um, in preschool, I do have a couple just informal screeners that we just made as a grade, um, you know, alphabet letters, shapes, colors, numbers, very basic. And that's really for pre-K four. And I'm with three year olds. So I don't really even expect a lot of them to know a lot of that stuff at all. Um, and then for more kind of like formal assessments, I use the assessment of basic language and learner skills. So the ABLES and you talk about this all the time. I learned this from you. Um, that's one of my main ones. And I also use the um, early learning assessment because in Maryland with the little biddies, I am required to use the Maryland early learning Standards. That's what I go by. And that assessment, um, you know, that's what looks over that part.
1: So I'm not familiar with that assessment. Is it easy to differentiate for your like more foundational level learners? How does that go?
3: It is. And I, I like it so much because it reminds me of the Ables and I'll I'll keep calling it the Ables for now. Just remember it's assessment of basic <laughs> language and learner skills. Um, I love it because just like the Ables, it breaks down foundational skills for you and gives you examples. So You know, in like school, we're thinking of letters and numbers, but what comes before that? You know, what comes before you can tell a kid to follow a schedule and imitate skills? All those basic skills are in the early learning assessment and the ABLES. And it really breaks it down into levels. In the early learning assessment, there's levels A through D and one through five. And so it's really nice to have that level A through D because they're very basic. They might even be like an A level is attending, Mm -hmm. eye gazing. And that's so important because we have some kiddos that are on that level. And how do you teach them?
1: Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah.
3: So that goes with the ABLES. Um, The ABLES also breaks it down into those small little steps. And that's just, I mean, I think that's so what we need um, as teachers because what does come first?
1: And even for, you know, kids beyond preschool, like maybe even a third or fourth grader, like I've used components of the ABLES at older grades because Mm -hmm. some kids don't come in with those, like even school readiness skills, like the attending, like you said, or waiting or everything involved in receptive (laughs) language before you can say like, hey, go get your pencil and your book and sit down. There's a lot of prerequisite skills before that. So how are we assessing those and knowing where to start? Exactly. And
3: there's a huge push, um, you know, I know not only in our county, in our state, to those grade level standards. And so I often struggled a lot with those grade level standards that were, say, you know, describe and identify and describe the characters in the story and how they change over time. And then you have your little munchkin that doesn't even know how to expressively identify the difference between a man and a woman or any each question and you're thinking, where do I go from here? How do I break this goal down? Um, so I feel like the ABLES and the early learning assessment really fill in those like Swiss
1: cheese holes that, you know, a lot of kids have learning to learn. Yes. The Swiss cheese is such a good analogy because when you don't address those missing skills and it's tempting to kind of push forward, but if you don't address those holes, they come back to haunt you because you'll be on some harder level skill. Like I see this a lot with reading comprehension. Kids are reading it, you know, maybe a you know, the level D, a level E in Fountas Pinnell, but they can't answer any who, what or where question. So they get stuck because they can't move you know, along in reading comprehension, but they can't actually answer a where question just even away from the text.
3: Yes. And I've seen a lot of kids um, have trouble with, with letter identification and numbers. And I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I know I'm giving systematic instruction and, you know, well-rounded and, and the fidelity and all the, you know, all the boxes are checked. And then I realized before I did the Ables, I, I didn't even know that there was something called identical matching and, and being able to match objects to pictures. And if you can't do that kind of stuff and um, visually discriminate those letters aren't going to mean anything to you at all. They don't mean letters to you. So it's the ables really helps you scaffold back to those skills that you might be missing.
1: And then you almost like learning is sometimes then I think faster because then once you get those skills that you've been talking about, then once you get to letters, they're like, Oh, okay, I have that foundation. I'm ready to go with letters. So yes, exactly.
3: And that I had a student, I just want to say real quick that um, he had down syndrome and you know, I tried my wonder of letter, my program, and I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I gave him the Ables and I realized he couldn't do those basic matching skills. And as soon as we tackled those and mastered them, he learned 17 letters in a year, Yes, letters on white background, no visual cues. And it was incredible. And
1: that was what was missing. I had no idea. Yeah. It's so cool to see when you see it happen, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay. So you give these assessments and then how do you develop your IP goals from those assessment results? So I think it's like important to see where those gaps are first. And then
3: think about what's age appropriate for your student. So, you know, if you I I can't really speak too much on on the upper grades because I haven't been in middle and high school. But I know that, you know, if you've been working on letters forever, you know, you have to look at the ABLES and these assessments and see what is appropriate for that time. So for me, a lot of my littles, obviously, you know, they're coming in fresh. They've never had routine. So I look at those skills first. Um, Following directions is on the early learning assessment. Imitating skills is on the ABLES. And, you know, following classroom routines is on the ABLES. So it literally will tell you what to do. If your student cannot do this, where do you go from there? So a lot of my kids have a following directions IEP goal, um, how to follow a schedule, how to go from table to table. And then a lot of them also have that basic matching goal, because that's going to set the foundation for all the other skills on top of it. So I really look at, you know, what's appropriate in the age and what I really need them to accomplish mean. And then I go from there.
1: That's a great way to think about it, too. Even for older grades, you know, looking at what is a third grader expected to do? They're expected to wait in lunch line. They're expected to you know, when the recess, you know, duty teacher calls everyone in, they're expected to listen to group behaviors. Like it's different than preschool. Preschoolers, a lot of preschool teachers go up to each kid and say, come on, it's time to go versus in third grade. It's not a, hey, Johnny, hey, Jamie. It's like, hey, Miss Thomas's room, everyone come in. So thinking about even at those older grades, what, you know, what are those grade level expectations? That's a really good point.
3: Definitely. Absolutely. And I think like everyone can use... Work and following directions, yes. and it can, it can be different in every single grade. I mean, I still have a planner. I still have you know, some kind of form of organization and structure and routine to help me get through my day. So I, it really like makes me cringe sometimes when I hear people say, "Well, they don't need that schedule." They may not need a certain type of schedule, but we all need some kind of schedule. We get agendas from our principals, we get emails from people, we get notices from doctors, and I just, yeah, I'm always gonna be a
1: pro- cheerleader for that. Yes. Oh my God, you know I am too. So <laughs> you have the IP goals, and then then I think people get intimidated. Even if you have like, you come in to kids with great IP goals, it's the idea of making all the stuff. Like there's just so many things that you need because it's not like, oh, you have a matching goal. Cool, I can make one matching activity. You know, thinking about generalization. So obviously, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes time. But what kind of have been your strategies from when you were an earlier teacher and even now once you have a big resource kind of closet to tackling the stuff.
3: <laughs> that's that's a great question. That's a big for question. <laughs>
1: the first year teachers who are listening,
3: turn off the laminator and yeah. listen. <laughs> I know, because um, you're just so excited, and there's so much awesome, like so many awesome things out there. I literally remember coloring in file folders myself. Like there was so no <laughs> colored, there was colored ink, but we didn't have access to it like we do now, and. I mean, I would tape things for lamination. It was, I mean, we just didn't have Pinterest and all these amazing things. So it can be really easy to get wrapped up in, you know, all these awesome things. So what I like to do is I like to see what all my goals are, write them out. I'm still a paper pencil girl. Um, (laughs) I like to visually see it. And then I write those goals out and I think about the resources I already have that I can use for them. So, because by now I do have a nice little, toolkit of Mm -hmm. things. And sometimes they kind of get packed away and you forget that you made that awesome adaptive book. So I like to look at it as like a list form and write it out and just kind of list the things that would be appropriate. And again, age appropriate. We don't want, you know, a middle schooler, high schooler, you know, counting with the teddy bears Mm -hmm. and, you know, reading about Barney. Barney can be a reinforcer, but, you know, We don't need to be reading about that kind of stuff. You always make sure it's age appropriate, all all of your resources. And actually, I will say, so you have the assessment of basic language and learner skill task cards. And those those are life. I don't even know. (laughs) That is the most genius thing ever. So if you don't know about these cards... You listeners out there, I am
1: not uh, telling Gina to talk about this. No, by the way.
3: <laughs> not at all. These just are game changers because if you if you do decide to use the Assessment of Basic Language and Learner Skills, the ABLES, it can be kind of daunting on what to do next. What do you use if your child doesn't know how to you know have emotional skills or doesn't have basic matching or letters or I mean, there's so many different subcategories, and so there's actual cards that. Sasha has created that fits every single section of ABLE. So if you're working on, you know, section B and there's matching skills, you pull out those task cards and you use those. And right now I don't need all the cards, so I haven't made all the cards. Um, so that's another thing you want to look at. You know, you may not need every part of it right away.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good Yeah, Think about what you do need, what you have, what you can match with what you already have. But with like the Ables cards, I really made those kind of same thing you said. It's you do the Ables and then you're like, oh my gosh, this student needs to work on finding, you know, different categories from a group. And you're like, that's such a specific (laughs) skill. I know they need to work on it, but I don't have the stuff. So, and I think task cards... For newer teachers that are being overwhelmed by all of the work, task cards are easy to prep. Like, you don't even have to laminate them. You could print them on cardstock, cut them out, no Velcro required. You know, it's Mm -hmm. easy to prep. But, you know, like you said, like, don't be bogged down by the Pinterest stuff, the everything, because you don't have to make all of it right away. So if you don't have the resource library, you know, picking a few things that – will touch a lot of goals. Like you said, you have a lot of kids that have matching goals and focus making stuff there as opposed to trying to like, okay, but this is cute. I want to make this now kind of thing.
3: Right, right exactly. And I think um, something that really helped me, and I know everyone's different, so it can be hard to kind of sometimes listen to other people's, you know, advice or things that have worked for them because you want to find your own, you know, your own niche in life um, and teaching. But I think working as efficiently as possible is like the ultimate goal. And it's kind of like, well, duh, of course we all want to be efficient, but what does that look like when you have a huge caseload and you have so many different skills? And so I really loved making student work binders. And even with the little kids, you can do this and just having materials always available that are age appropriate and skill appropriate. So maybe they have, you have your level curriculums in there and you have a list of alternate things that you could do with that student. Or if you're out unexpectedly for a week, someone can go pick up that binder and there's always something appropriate that they can be working on.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's that you kind of like are jumping to my next question, which is perfect. You know, how do you organize all that stuff? Because once you do make some things or, you know, print out some stuff, You got to then find it when you need it. When Johnny sits down with you, you're not going to be like, hold on, Johnny, let me go find that thing. But yeah, the binder system is great because it's all kind of ready to go right there.
3: Yes. And in in inclusion, when I worked as a co-teacher, I was running around like a maniac with like my little rolling cart. Like kids knew that like if I left my rolling cart, that was, you know, Miss Russell's or whatever in the hallway. And so I kind of was killing myself running around the school with all these materials. And I finally just, you know, put binders in rooms so everything was always available. And then I would have a cart full of supplies that, you know, was universal. Um, But having it always available was was the key.
2: (laughs) Yes. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate?
1: Okay, so let's talk talk independent work. And I kind of have like two areas I want to go in this question because my advice to people is when they're, you know, they got switched to a new classroom or a new grade or they're new – The first thing I would say is make some independent work tasks, because you've got to get at least some of your kids working on their own so you can do the 500 other things you have to do, like teach kids how to use their schedule, train your staff, et cetera, et cetera. Do some direct instruction. So start making, you know, go to Dollar Tree, make the easy tasks. So one kind of first question is, what do you think, you know, about that, about what are your tips for setting up independent work? And then more specifically for you as preschool teacher, what are your tips for independent work with preschoolers? Because I hear people say all the time, like, oh, but, like, I have babies. They can't do independent work. And I'm like, yeah, they can't do independent work yet. So, <laughs> so yes, tips on independent work and then specific for the babies too. Um. So
3: first I'm going to give you all permission to <laughs> – Take yourself out of the schedule and work on specifically on independent work. So, or make it into your group work. So, if you you know have older kids, or I'm talking like older kids to me is like six, <laughs> <laughs> but six and above. Um, you should again, <laughs> excuse me, map out your time. When are you going to have independent work? What could they do? So even if they, um, you know, can't use pencils yet and scissors and like the thought of like a glue stick in their hands is kind of terrifying at this moment, then there's a lot of just hands-on stuff you can do. It, it could just be when you're getting started, a coloring page, mm-hmm. you know, like they're just completing the task. It doesn't have to be in the lines. You're just showing them that when we come to this area, there is some kind of a task that we complete and eventually it'll be, you know more tailored to what you're doing. But for right now, when you're teaching it, it can be something as simple as a coloring page or a puzzle or using Play-Doh or, and again, we want to be that chocolate chip cookie. Like you always talk about about making it fun. So having that buy-in and that beginning with independent work, making it fun, making it a little bit harder later. And so you can also use your work with teacher time to show them independent tasks. Maybe you're a brand new teacher to a room and you're like, I don't know these kids. I don't want to you know, assume anything. So let's take what we already have made and let's work on it during work with teacher Mm -hmm. um, and see what's appropriate to put in those boxes. And they don't have to be the $300 shoebox work task that Mm -hmm. I've inherited. Um, (laughs) And you don't have to go out to the Dollar Tree right away and make 60,000 boxes and, you know, have your whole family eat like cereal for nine months so (laughs) that you can collect boxes. But... You're saying those things like you've done them. (laughs) I have no idea. This is something a friend told me. (laughs) (laughs) So I've heard. (laughs) Um, So just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you probably have in your room already that you can make into independent work because you're just really teaching them how to be independent. What do you do when you come to that table in that time?
1: And you touched on a great point in the start of that answer that you and I actually talked a lot about in your first podcast episode because Gina is our first (laughs) dual guest or not dual guest, (laughs) but on twice, whatever that right word is. Um, On podcast episode two, we talked a lot about this, about how You know, you should really just take yourself out of the schedule, like have the room run without you, whatever center you're supposed to be at, have something else be there for a while. And, you know, in the in the episode two, we talked about in particular for assessments, which ties into what we're talking about today, but also for things like staff training, teaching kids use their schedules and then independent work, because you can be the one that's doing that prompt fading to teach them how to do the independent work system.
3: Exactly. And it's okay also to kind of go back and you might have to take yourself out again. Like I had this goal for, I think it was, it was March. And I was like, okay, we're really going to do independent work with the little three-year-olds. And then I got a new friend Mm -hmm. and it literally, this like 28 pound ham, like amazing little body soul came through my room and like sent this like shockwave through all of us. (laughs) And so we had to re Things and my independent work didn't happen right away, and then I had to make two large groups, and then I had to take myself, I mean, I had to restructure everything. Um, for my new friend, but, you know,
1: we'll get back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that happens to all of us. Like, I hope, you know, people listening that have felt, you know, really down when it happens to them, because we've all been there, you know, the second you like relax a little and you're like, damn, things are going good. Oh, you shouldn't have said that because no, like I'll something's about that. to happen. Um, yes. But That's okay. That's, that's our jobs. Our jobs are to be like, the most flexible people around and to roll with the punches, sometimes literally, and, you know, make do and switch it up. And if that, you know, the independent work, the goal was March and it didn't happen, that's okay. Like you're, that's, you're still probably making progress towards it.
3: Absolutely.
1: And it's set up and it's ready. <laughs> and the other great thing you said, too, was that like, yes, it's it's very tempting. And like you and I were talking about, like when we were early teachers, there was no Pinterest. There was no TPT. There were no teacher Instagrams with all these beautiful pictures. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine like it's overwhelming to me now. And I can't imagine how overwhelming that would be to a year one teacher who thinks, well, I need 60 shoebox bins with tasks that are labeled like this. And yes, I love that system. I think eventually that's a great goal, but you don't need a day one and you don't need a day 200 either.
3: Exactly. You have to do what is truly right for your kids. And I, all last year, I used post-its for certain things because I just did not have the time to make it you know, it wasn't to be cute, but it was to be functional. And I, I just didn't have the time to do it. So you know what, I put a pink post-it on the one task box and I put a pink post-it on the schedule and that worked just fine. And yeah. that's like, yes. you know, you're not going to always have beautifully Velcroed and laminated picture symbols in life to help you. You yeah. have to go with it. So it's It's okay. I know how it is. You know, we all, especially back to school, like all the new borders come out and all the posts come out and you're like, why do you have a white couch? You know, (laughs) white couches that don't ever get stained. (laughs) That's like my worst nightmare is a white couch. (laughs) Unless it's plastic.
1: And you're probably, you know, better off, like you were saying, to get to know your kids, figure out what tasks are appropriate. And like, yes, maybe having that you know, wall of shoebox tax, tasks, and it's one of my favorite independent systems instead of kind of the three bin drawer. That could be a good goal, but you don't want to just throw crap in there. You know, spending four months getting to know your kids, teaching tasks, and then figuring it out, you're going to end up with a better product at the end of the day, which is what we're all going to want. Exactly. So that's a really good point. Um, so, last thing with the preschoolers here. So, to the naysayers that are like, my three-year-old babies are never going to do independent work. (laughs) Tips on fading prompts, on teaching your staff to fade prompts, because yeah, you might not ever get there in preschool, but you will get somewhere eventually. How can we help those babies move towards being as independent as they can?
3: That's such an awesome, awesome question. And again, you have to look at the kiddos you have. So I have some pure models in my room that can do a lot more independently, you know, they, I can give them, you know, some art supplies and not worry about it getting chucked across the room. Um, so I think again,
1: making
3: a clear cut area in your room. So I have like two desks that are set up and then I just really train them to go get the work test box. And maybe I put them up top or some people put them to the left. It depends on how much structure you need for your kids. And I just made it simple. You know, they're little, so getting out a coloring sheet from the box and a crayon and coloring on it is huge for them. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a skill. Um, and then puzzles, I picked really easy puzzles that, you know, you cannot get wrong, you know, or I only gave them the pieces that, you know, were correct if it was, you know, a stackable puzzle, or I gave them an errorless file folder that I had made that way. They're just learning to complete that task. And, again, you don't have to train. I have 13 kids right now. I'm not going to train all 13 of them at one time. Yeah, um, Pick a small group and do that weekly and then switch it out. And then maybe, you know, the next week we don't get to it. Um, but just having that faith in them and setting those expectations, I think, is is really important because it's pretty amazing how even three-year-olds
1: are rising. I love it. Yes, yes. It's And it's cool to see, you know, once you – have been in the field for a while, you do see that those baby steps start to add up, but the mountain seems so big at the start. So I can, I understand feeling overwhelmed or discouraged too. Exactly. And, you know, maybe independent
3: work at that moment is not appropriate in your classroom, and that's okay. You know, it's a lot, there's a lot of play that should be happening and developmental play, and that's fine. But definitely try it out because they eventually will have to work by themselves and they'll just be better for it. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was so helpful to hear, you know, not only from the preschool voice, but also just in general, I think you do a great job at considering, you know, important things like age appropriateness and standards and, you know, other assessments on how it relates to creating tasks. So thank you so much for all your valuable advice. You're welcome and good luck, everyone. You're going to do just fine. (laughs) Thank you. My take home point for you in this step is baby steps. Take it slowly. Pick one area or one section of resources to work on and only do that this year. Yes, I said this year. You can't build up an entirely new independent work system and literacy centers and math centers and all of this all at the same time. So instead of doing a lot of things a little bit, do one thing really well. Give yourself a little grace. Your classroom is not going to look like every other Pinterest perfect classroom that you find online. And keep in mind that what's behind the camera is not always as perfect as what people are sharing online. People have disorganized bins. People have work tasks that are made with masking tape and colored in pictures. And that's just Fine. As long as your resources align to your IEP goals, and as long as you are creating IEP goals that are rigorous and functional and age-appropriate, you are on the right track. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for Educational Resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers, and this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program, and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources, and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe.